0: Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Year on year, our research here at Insight 222 proves that the people analytics function is becoming increasingly important for organizations worldwide, as business leaders across the globe are relying ever more on data to make strategic people-related decisions. Today, I'm delighted to introduce someone who has seen firsthand how having a clear people analytics strategy can make a huge difference to any business. My guest on today's episode is Phil Wilburn, and he is the Vice President of People Analytics at Workday. Phil has an outstanding background in the field, and today we'll be discussing the impact that Workday's people analytics function has had on their business, as well as his top tips for building a successful people analytics function. So let's dive straight in and welcome Phil to the show. Bill, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Before we dive in, could, could you could you share with our, with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at Workday?
1: Yeah, thanks, David, and thanks for having me on. Really excited and pumped to be here. I uh, lead People Analytics at Workday. Um, I sit in Workday's HR function, reporting up into our Chief People Officer. And I, I say this, David, because uh, sometimes people are confused. Workday actually also has a People Analytics product that's separate that's on the product side. So I sit in HR. I've been here for about six years and our team owns uh, kind of normal stuff in people analytics, workforce insights, employee listening and workforce planning.
0: So, so really people should just see you as you as a people analytics practitioner, you just happen to be doing it in in workdays. So as a running an internal people analytics function for the workdays around 18,000 people, is that right?
1: Yep, that's correct. And uh, because we have this great technology, I would say that our our customers are quite critical of great insights um, because we produce this for so many customers. But also it's really nice because they're open to using their own technology and using their own insights to make better people decisions.
0: Your background's quite interesting before you got into Workday as well. Can you share a little bit about your time before before you joined Workday?
1: Yeah, so I have actually had two separate careers before kind of getting into Workday, being in people analytics. Uh, So my first one just before coming to Workday I was a senior faculty at the Center for Creative Leadership, so I was providing executive development, leadership consulting for top global companies. So for your listeners, I have kind of a leadership, learning, HR consulting background. Before that, also sort of related, but sort of on a tangent, uh, my first career was actually working inside the U.S. intelligence community. So I was an analyst and I taught courses on advanced analytics to various agencies like the Defense Intelligence Agency the National Counterterrorism Center, Open Source Center, and the FBI, and also did some analytics work back for NASA, you know, uh,
0: early in my career. So this is kind of uh, beautiful because you're basically combining your analytics background and your leadership and HR background into one role now. I couldn't,
1: you know, when I started my career, I I had no idea that this is what would happen. But looking back, it makes sense. Who knows what's going to happen as we go forward, though, David?
0: Well, no, but and 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 we certainly we're seeing out there that people analytics continues to grow as a function. Um, it, it's getting um more influential with with leaders in in many organisations that we work with, based on the research we'll be doing Insight two 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 over the last few years. And obviously, you've been in the in the field for a while and attached to it, I guess, through the the leadership consulting work that you were doing as well. Tell me, you know, what what's your perception of of how the people analytics space has evolved over time?
1: Yeah, I think. Actually, we've come a long way. The HR space used to be the least data savvy function because of the amazing reports that, that you guys are producing at Insights 222. We could see that the best organizations are blending people data with business data, adding in good research practices and advising leaders to make better decisions. So I think we're actually getting a lot closer to focusing on business and people outcomes, which I know you and Jonathan... I mean, you guys are obsessed with this. You talk about this all the time. The whole point of the book is that I do think we're getting closer. However, there are a couple areas I think we're still kind of, I think, lacking or not quite there yet from a people analytics function.
0: What are the, the some of those things you think we're still kind of need to, need to get better at as a, as a, as a community, as a, as a practice?
1: Yeah, I think as a community, we struggle in kind of two broad areas. Uh, first, we continue to struggle to scale the impact of people analytics. We all know we do great work, and when we do that work, it does have impact. But I'm reminded some of the Red Thread research that pointed out that during the pandemic, something like 80% of organizations were getting the full value out of people analytics teams that they'd hope, and that's largely due to taking on non-scalable projects. In a couple of years, Gartner cited a very similar thing about people analytics team achieving their strategy they laid out and they says one of the biggest derailers is taking on a bunch of ad hoc products and when i talk to practitioners to me this is really a crisis of adoption we produce so many analytic products and yet we oftentimes have low adoption in our products and i think if we're going to create scale in people analytics we really need to ensure our analytic products are adopted and used in an effective way. So that's that's the first one there.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting because it it thinks it makes us think that we need to put the user at the center of it and think about you know people we we wanted people to want to use the products that, that we that we're building as well. Um, and and maybe in the past as you know if we think back to a lot of the old HR technology, we we weren't necessarily thinking about the user; we were thinking about the HR program that we wanted to roll out. So I think there's there's definitely something in that there. I think Phil definitely.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, the other thing is about betting this insights into the way that the business runs their work, uh, as we can get closer to really embedding those insights, we'll work on that. The second one, I think uh, the the trend, I think we need to, I would say, still need to make progress on is, is that we've unintentionally broken the link between insights and action. And what I mean by that is as a profession we've been really drawn towards these very compelling BI tools that provide cool and sexy visualizations which is all good I mean I love them too but it's quite difficult to then take that consume that and and take a particular action you know and also I think that's contributed to adoption in analytic tools if if you view something and then don't know what to do or then not be able to take action that's that's a difficulty now just give you an example you know, here at Workday, we have a people leader dashboard or, or a manager dashboard, which every single manager at Workday uses to run their teams, right? And so when a manager can look at a copper ratio distribution related to performance and then launch a comp review in the same place, they use it more often because that's what they need to do. Or as a manager can see a high potential turnover and then launch a career in progress check-in across their organizations, take some action from it, they're more likely to use this as checking in and then taking action. And I think that's an area that we really need to improve on.
0: So Workday is a, is a fast-growing organization. I'd love to know, and I, and I think listeners would love to know that are currently building their teams. What does the people analytics team look like at Workday? How have, you, how have you structured the team?
1: So, you know, let's go back to our mission, and then I can talk a little bit about how we structure it. So our mission, like you mentioned before, David, uh, our mission is to help Workday leaders make better people decisions. So that's around all sorts of topics. It could be planning topics, it could be employee engagement talk bits, it could be sales attainment topics. It's around better people decisions. And because we want to help all leaders, not just a subsection of leaders, not just our board, not just our executive team, we need to ensure that we're both being strategic with the work we take on and creating scale with our work. And we have limited resources. Um, You know, we have about 15 people on our team in total, uh, which is, I think, a moderate size organization, but not hundreds of people so that we can touch every single leader. So we have to work to create scale. And in order to do that, there are three things that really have allowed our team to create scale. We've built kind of a different type of team than maybe a lot of traditional people analytics uh, organizations. We have a persona-based analytics strategy. So we align every one of our products to a persona, and we drive adoption to make sure that product is serving that persona. And then, you know, we do create and focus on in-depth enablement practices. So whether that's uh, creating an in-depth practice for our HR business partners to really understand how to generate a hypothesis, use our dashboards to create and find their insights, to bite sized guides, and even high-level overview videos for senior business leaders who are too busy. So that's kind of the three things. And then our function breaks down across three areas, Uh, analytic products. So we have product managers who manage the roadmap of our products and really align that to our personas. We have a insights at scale team. That's really our builders. And then we have a data science and research team. Uh, And the data science and research team, I think is an interesting blend because they can analyze they can recommend, and then they can move their insights into the product. So they're just not people that are sitting behind somewhere creating, you know, a fancy algorithm. They actually understand what they're doing and then can either re- make recommendations and, or say,
0: these insights need to be in the product. Pretty interesting. I mean, one thing I think you said, you know, you said lots of things are really interesting, but one thing I think was really interesting. It's not, it's not just about enabling leaders. So you, we've talked, you've talked, you know, Two or three times, you've mentioned the importance of creating analytics at scale. We're not going to create scale as people analytics professionals. We just focus on leaders. We might help leaders, and we might drive some very important business decisions. But ultimately, to create analytics at scale, you need to you need to enable managers in the business and and employees potentially as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we have a, a roadmap that has things that go to with employees. For example, uh, Picon our Employee Voice, um, our employee listening platform uh, is accessible by all employees. They have their own employee dashboard. They can see how they compare to their teams. That's helping drive a better conversation in teams. Uh, a number of years ago, we launched a, a diversity report to all of our employees. So our employees were very curious, how are we making progress? Are we holding ourselves accountable to make progress in diversity? So in Workday, any employee can run our diversity report and see the breakdown of the progress of diversity um, quarter over quarter and how we currently stand today. So those are insights that are relevant to everyone. And they also are, are strategic for us and kind of help us hold each other accountable and drive those kind of insights to the fringes.
0: Let's pause for a moment and thank Workday, our sponsor for this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Workday is a leading provider of enterprise cloud applications for HR and finance, helping customers adapt and thrive in a changing world. Workday is also a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for cloud HCM suites, and that's just one of the reasons why the world's top companies trust Workday to deliver for them. Organisations ranging from medium-sized businesses to more than 50% of the Fortune 500 have chosen Workday to help build HR systems and implement workforce analytics solutions, including Netflix, Sanofi, AstraZeneca, and Rolls-Royce. Join them and find out more by heading to workday.com. That's workday.com. And I love what you're saying about the the persona approach. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about how how you create the personas for for each of the products?
1: Yeah. So you know first we start with personas and then we start with the products, right? So we need, we know that our uh, a big leverage of people' decisions is made for our SVPs. So we have a SVP persona uh, and VP plus persona. So what does that look like? What do they need? What are the insights they need? The next persona that we learned, which was interesting and it makes sense, is who are the people who support those decisions for the SVPs and VPs? And those are the kind of HR business partners and COEs, right? So there's a whole persona that supports the SVPs and VPs. Then we have our director population, which runs our uh, kind of the majority of our function. We have our people leader population. Then we have our ICs. And so that's how we mapped out uh, across here. I think for each organization it be a little bit different, but we started with personas. And then we say, then in order to get scale, we have to say, what is a product that we could use across the most amount of personas that would drive the insights we want. So we're maintaining a few products, but they have depth. And that's the that's kind of the strategy that we've, we've uh, gone through.
0: And, and, and I guess, you know, the different personas may use the product slightly differently. So it's, 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 as you said, it's understanding, okay, we've got a product. How are the personas going to use it slightly differently? And, and how, how can we build in all the necessary functionality, information, and data to, to enable them to do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, for example, you know, so for example, our VP Plus and SVPs, they're not like excited to like take, see a link and click into a dashboard and, and look around. I mean, uh, we have to be realistic. So what we actually did with this persona is we have a monthly digest for them. So, in this month, here's what happened in your organization. Uh, turnover is up. It's up compared to your parent organization. Your goal for turnover this year is to maintain a certain percentage. Your diversity hiring was positive. You know, this is on par with meeting our goals at the end of the year. Uh, the number of people coming to the office. Is about this percentage this is lower than what we see across workday so we have this digest that comes and that is the most consumable thing they read this they go ah here's where i stand right and if they're going into a qbr they bring that in or they can say oh this is really interesting i'm going to learn more and there's a couple options you know they can click right in click through the link see our dashboard they can learn more or they can reach out to the hr partner which has the exact same information because they're in the loop with that alert, and that's just one way in which we learn about a is what they need, and then build the insights that speak to them.
0: Yeah, they're really important. It's that that's kind of two way way of looking at it. We're not just throwing products out there; we're understanding how people are going to use them, how they're going to use them differently, and how we need to build the products to to, to drive that adoption, as you talked about as well.
1: Yeah, and that requires, and I want to want to make this a, a clear point. I think in in the way we run our team is we require every one of our team members to have two capabilities. That allows this kind of virtuous cycle one is an analyst so every person on my team has to think critically about the data i don't care what role you have they have to understand the insights and ability to connect those insights to recommendations that's a requirement i think that should be required in every shop and then the second is every one of our team members is a technologist all right you can't just be a researcher without knowing how to convert that research and recommendations into a technology that scales, that supports decisions or embedded in the workflow. And so every one of our team members, it has to think about how they embed their insights, their research, their work in our technology. And again, that's what creates scales, right? And when we create that scale and we drive adoption um, through our products, through uh, in-depth in and, and bite-size enablement, it creates this strong adoption and a virtuous cycle that when we have something uh, we create scale with it. We then get it out there. It's not filling up our time continuously. We get to move on to new uh, and different problems.
0: Could, Phil, could you give us a couple of examples of, of how this this approach plays out at Workday?
1: Yeah, maybe a couple of examples, two examples here. First was uh, a real short one, uh, which is creating insights in a virtual cycle around our performance uh, management or performance enablement. So a, a few years ago, our talent organization, HR partners, were searching for deeper insights related to our performance cycle. We needed to learn about the implication of calibration placement on talent outcomes. So perfect research thing. We conducted a pattern analysis and connected outcomes related to what is sustained success look at workday. And we emerged with some very specific patterns that revealed talent trends that had a significant impact on performance. So what, what are the trends around consistent top performers? Uh, what do we see when we need to consider some action like uh, a succession plan or a different uh, role? And so, this is a research project. And then, what happens is that that very next year, we took the research and we embedded them directly in the insights that both HR partners and leaders have to access. So, instead of producing a deck once a year or a report once a year, we just took those insights. We learned this already, built into technology. And what that allowed us to do is to create scale by automating these research insights. Again, I said this before, but it comes from having a product-oriented team, a technology-oriented team, and it really influences, and we've seen it, it's influenced the way our business leaders calibrate their talent, set up their talent plans, and focus on the kind of sustained performance from their talent. So that's that's one short example.
0: That's great. And, and I think that, that's a really good example. I think you've got a, another one around um, a health dashboard I think you had for, for, for hybrid.
1: Yeah, so this this one, so this kind of Hub Health Dashboard for hybrid work. So this is uh as you can as you know and you've stated many times, uh this is a hot topic and, and a trend that's gonna continue in the future. Um so this past year we identified kind of our future work model and our return to office perspective. Uh, we actually uncovered that site leaders, those people who are kind of the senior leaders in office locations around the globe are really the key stakeholders ensuring people's transition back to more in-person work, right? Through our research, we actually uncovered that there are three factors that uh, relate to site health in hybrid work adoption. You know, So for example, first one is who works here? So the number of employees who don't have local managers impact site health, right? Or the number of co-located team employees impact site health. How people are working, right? Which means uh, how people were coming into the office, how often, which days were most popular, and then what was the overall sentiment? For example, is engagement uh, or well-being impact by coming to the office and using the Workday Office as a positive experience? So again, great research. We found these key factors, but instead of holding these or just producing a report for, for each site leader on a given cadence, we embedded this right into our Hub Health dashboard. We enabled every single site leader and pushed this data out to the fringes. And now we have monthly reviews of sites globally looking at this data saying, how do we make changes to improve our oversight health, right? And so you can see things like, it's simple things is like, let's move the days bagels are available in the office uh, based on when, when people are showing up, right? That makes sense. Or let's change our desk assignments to neighborhood seatings. Or let's create watch parties for a company meeting or let's create more options for hybrid onboarding depending on the site location. So all of these actions we didn't necessarily recommend, but we were able to, from learning from the research, get that data out to the site leaders. They make their own decisions and are making uh, sites much healthier as uh, they are today than were before.
0: It's a, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? Because you could argue that as, a, as the world of work, we're in the early stages of hybrid working at the moment. And You know, you could argue that many companies have only just put their return, well, in the last sort of six to nine months, put their return to office plans back into place. So this is going to be, you know, an area of a lot of exploration um, and and experimentation, I guess, for companies, for people analytics teams in the the coming years.
1: And it should be, David, for the business leader, too. We shouldn't, like, it shouldn't be just the g functions or the HR functions experimenting, we need to have our business leaders fully own and adopt and realize that they're going to have to lead differently. And we just found in our case that site leaders, those who are looking over our Boulder office or Atlanta office or our Dublin office, they have to lead slightly differently and they're figuring it out as well. So might as well get them the uh, the data insights and they experiment on their end and we're going to learn from that. So it's, it's two-way street. It's HR trying different things, people analytics trying different things, but the business is trying different things, and we should learn just as much from the business as we're learning from our own data.
0: Yeah, I'd really like to talk a bit more about the work you're doing around employee listening and, and enhancing the employee experience. You know, How does your team put the data forward to managers from, for example, the the weekly pulse that you're doing and the decision makers to help them take the action that that's that's needed?
1: Yeah, this is something we're pretty serious about here, David. We're serious about listening to our employees and then putting that data right into the hands of our managers to understand their employees and take action. So let me give you an example. And I think you kind of hinted at that. Um, we've been pulsing all employees every week for the last four years. And for the last year, we've been u- using our kind of newest uh, employee listening platform, Pecon Employee Voice Technology, which has been quite transformational. And just to articulate this a little more, so we don't launch new surveys as events or fanfare with constant communication. We simply have one routine survey schedule that arrives in everyone's inbox or Slack at 9 a.m. on Friday morning, uh, and we call that Feedback Fridays. Uh, It contains four or five questions each week, and it is usually completed in less than two minutes. There is a question rotation algorithm means that employees are answering different combination of questions to one another so that although... They only have four questions. We're gathering a huge variety of variables each week, so we're, we have no blind spots. And as far as impact, uh, we have an average uh, participation of around 70% each week. So this gives us confidence that the data is highly accurate and it provides real-time picture for our employees. And our managers, when we look at their usage statistics, are accessing their Peacon app or their dashboard on a weekly basis. So uh, employees are accessing it, and then managers are accessing it, and uh, that's creating a, a a collaborative problem-solving platform than anything, because we've received more than a quarter of a million comments since we launched on PECON uh, last year, and almost all of these comments have been replied to, have been acknowledged by our managers engaging in a process to improve employee experience. So when I mean like, hey, we're serious about this, we've been serious about this for the last four years prior to the pandemic prior to to the movement and and we continue to see uh, a big investment in this and a big focus on this across all uh, across our enterprise
0: yeah and and just maybe share an example, Phil, because this having this data on a regular basis means that you know as events happen both inside and outside the company, you're able to see that in in the data and respond,
1: yeah, so During the fall and winter of 2021, our uh, peak on data, our employee listening data, they revealed various teams were battling uh, work overload due to pandemic-induced priority shifts, uh, meeting heavy schedules. And we we saw in the data pretty clearly over the course of a couple of weeks, our employees were losing or or not feeling their sense of accomplishment. And at that point, we had an interesting decision to make. You know, uh, a typical HR decision would be like, hey, this is a trend. Let's launch a new HR program and comms around overwork and not feeling an accomplishment and give people tips and tricks. But there was something interesting happening as we looked into the data. Um, we realized that there were hundreds and thousands of managers commenting on their team's uh, reactions, saying, "Oh, let me you know, move some work here, let me push some stuff out, et etc, et etc. And so we saw, managers really reacting to the trends we saw over a couple of weeks. And so uh, m- managers started to have conversations with the teams. They started to implement uh, targeted and tailored solutions. And and really, David, if you think about like overwork or, or too many deadlines or you know not feeling uh, a sense of accomplishment, that's not something like HR globally can handle. That's something like managers who are in the weeds working. That's really their responsibility. And that's something they're most closely connected and more likely to handle at their level. So through these bottoms up actions with no HR program or intervention, uh, we saw a positive movement over the following uh, month. So a number of employees struggling with workload, it reduced by 50%. um, And we saw a significant increase in accomplishment. So a couple of things, a couple of learnings from this, you know, employee listening revealed an issue affecting the employee experience in this case, workload. And by making this data easily available and accessible to all of our managers, all of our people leaders, and making this tech interactive as in it's collaborative problem solving, there are many, many small actions that added up to this big change. And this is all without standing up another tiger team or having another wide enterprise programming It's really good listening data and good collaborative uh, technology and good managers actually improved this overall thing without that kind of big HR program, um, mindset.
0: I know that the people analytics team, you know, as, as we've talked about how you've helped inform decisions around that, the hybrid model at workday as well. Can you maybe share the, share it with listeners as well? What was the role of the people analytics in, in helping the company adopt its, um, adopt its hybrid model beyond what you, what you've already talked about the site, the site, the site work?
1: Yeah, I think there's, you know, this is kind of the pressing issue of the day. How do we work in a different way in the future, given what happened during the pandemic? So, um, we helped in three specific ways, People Alex at Workday. Uh, first, we identified the impacts that all remote work that we had uh, was having on our organization and employees, what was actually gained and what was lost. Second, we continuously inserted the employee voice into decisions around what was working. And like, just for example, kind of at the height of the pandemic, when, when burnout was really high, um, our executive team decided to give every other Friday off for about six months to all employees globally to kind of decompress and and, and reset from that perspective. And that was driven by our, our listening strategy. And third, we helped actually shape our flex work policies and we call it flex work here at Workday, not hybrid work. So. And then we provide a kind of feedback loop on what's working or what's not working regarding these policies. Those are the three ways we're helping shape our future of work here at Workday.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I understand you've been on a little bit of a, a journey, a workday around the, the flex work. You know, could you share a little bit about that with, with this Because this, I know this is something that people find absolutely fascinating, I think. So
1: our journey. So like many tech companies went fully remote, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were very uh, uh, office uh, in office culture. So that was, you know, of a big of adjustment for there. Uh, pretty early on, we saw some uh, three big impacts when it comes to remote working. Uh, well-being. Well-being was, you know, in some ways uh, being impacted up or down w- with the pandemic and also with not being around their colleagues. Um, productivity, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, and then connections. And so well-being, you know, like I said, ups and downs related to the to the pandemic and our burnout. But we did also see a lot of our colleagues missed their colleagues. And there was this social energy that was lost. And Michael Arena uh, has stated some great research that really in the pandemic, one of the things that were we lost was this social energy, this energy we get from collaborating with others. The other thing is around productivity. You know, productivity is quite uh, challenging to measure. We look at focus time, right? So how much heads down non-distraction work are you getting? Uh, that actually increased, right? Everybody said productivity increased during the pandemic. We, we saw that, but we saw some challenges. You know, we saw some challenges of onboarding. So our onboarding. There's some evidence that our new hires across the globe were taking extra time to make their first contribution when they were hired. So it was a mixed bag with with productivity. But the biggest impact, and you've interviewed all of these people, uh, David, so you know this, was that uh, was on connections. So um, we saw strong within team connections created bonding connections, as they call. Uh, This is also related to the Microsoft study. However, we saw a decrease in the cross-functional connections, also known as bridging connections, that go between teams. In fact, for us, it was about a 17% decrease in these cross-functional connections. And lastly, employees said that they felt 50% less connected to their colleagues compared to the pandemic. So that's what we were walking in. And so given what we had learned, uh, that we are 100% remote, what model was really going to help us move forward in the future? And so we did what a lot of uh, analytics teams uh, did. We looked at some external and internal uh, research to come up with our perspective. So we know that, hey, focus time is actually better from working from home versus in the office. So there's a benefit there. Well-being, people wanted flexibility in their schedule. So it wasn't just about working remote or being in the office. It was about flexibility and connections. And interestingly, we saw a significant difference in outside team collaborations when people actually worked from the office, worked in person, then working from home. So there's clearly benefits from how do we get the upsides of some more flexibility and focus time while we're mitigating the, the downsides of that remote work. And so all of this here landed uh, our kind of flex policy. So we call it, I, I call it, I don't know if we, but I call it freedom within a framework flex policy, David. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Feel free to steal this in the future and just just use this and, and you know whatever a copyright uh, feel bomb. Like. Yep. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> just just put it on there, right? So where we landed, we uh, we were asking all employees to spend a fifty percent of their time in person, either in the office with customers or with prospects over the course of a fiscal quarter, and we believe that in person work is was is really essential, but it's that kind of flex balance right here. Um, And we've seen some pretty surprising outcomes from this since we've been doing this over the last year.
0: What are some of the outcomes that that you've seen from from this?
1: Yeah, like you said, we're still early on like many companies, right? But we have to make a a stance and and we believe um, this uh, flex stance is the best. We're getting the best of both worlds, uh, best of flexibility and the the best of in-person work. So what's been surprising for us as we've looked over the last year is What we found is that collaboration with teams outside of their own team, one of the biggest impact that we felt during the pandemic is actually up 18% compared to last year. So since we started this flex policy, we're actually starting to repair our bridging ties that were lost during the pandemic. To me, that's pretty darn good evidence that um, an in-person or or flex policy makes a lot of sense because our, our connections are being repaired. The other thing that was really, really fascinating is that employees had 17% more strong collaboration compared to the same time last year, which means it's not only that they're building different connections cross teams, but the depth or the strength of that relationship is improving. And we know that it is, it, the strength of the relationship has so many benefits, onboarding benefits, knowledge sharing benefits, kind of cultural benefits. Uh, another surprising result in, and I wouldn't have guessed this and, and unless I look at the data and I, David I would actually want to hear your your perspective on this Manager 101 frequency increase it doubled uh, this quarter compared to the same time last year. So we are actually seeing more 101s uh, compared to when we're full remote, which we could easily jump on Zoom. Why is that? I'm not sure I don't know David what do you what do you think why why does it increase the 101 cadence?
0: Well, you put me on the spot, so I'm going to try I and did. come up with some hypotheses. So <laughs> I, I just think maybe one-on-ones are more energizing when they're face-to-face. That, that would be something... I don't know how you'd test that, by the way. And I, don't, I think we're all getting tired of being on, on Zoom or Teams constantly, um, whereas I think if you can vary the, the way that you interact with people sometimes, virtually, like we're doing now, or, or sometimes face to face then it it adds a bit more variety perhaps or maybe yeah. there's more reasons to connect because you as you said the bridging ties are being repaired, which we know is so important to things like innovation and 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 inter-team team collaboration and 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 stuff like and other things um as well um so yeah but i would I would guess it's the it's more energizing meeting people face to face
1: yeah i i I think you're spot on actually and i think uh I could test this. Uh, and they come back to you and either prove you correct or disprove you, <laughs> And I, I'd be happy to do that at some point. But I think you're spot on. I think that, I, I was really shocked by this. But when you think like employees and managers are now more motivated than ever to share that kind of connection and you just see it like twice as many, uh, it's just like insane for me. We have a pretty good cadence of one-on-ones of here, but that that metric was really surprising. We've also seen our health and well-being scores in in our employee uh, listening, we're in the top 10, 10% of technology companies. So that has really helped. Uh, and then we're seeing mass team gatherings across the ecosystem. And I really think that's around building social energy. That was really lacking in, in the fully remote perspective. And we've learned a lot, right? So, you know, some of the learnings, uh, it was essential that we articulated the reason why behind the in-person work, right? Right. Uh, around connections, around uh, building social energy, around fostering innovation, right? It was also really critical that we allow each function or the work to decide how it's integrated into people's lives. So we're not mandating uh, uh, sales, you have to do this, Uh, technology, you have to do this, you know, our finance, you have to do this. We gave them this freedom and then the ability to articulate it down. And then we're continuing to learn and experiment. I think we're just at the beginning of this, but so far we're seeing some pretty positive outcomes uh, over this last year.
0: Now, what I find really insightful talking to you, and obviously we've spoken a few times over the last sort of 12, 18 months, um, is that you get to play with all the technology and tools that that, that Workday is developing for customers. I'm sure this benefits you as as a people analytics team and internally, but I'm guessing it also benefits your product team as well.
1: I feel very honored and privileged to be at Workday because we get great tools and we do get to play with them. And, um, you know, like I was just talking about relationships, our product teams are constantly reaching out to us, right? And this is one of the amazing things about being here is we're both a customer and an internal resource to other development teams. And just like one short example, uh, I think one of the best examples uh, of this is the creation of Workday's Vibe Index. You know, VIBE stands for valuing inclusion, belonging and equity for all. And it's a true measurement of equity inside an organization across the major people outcomes, equity and hiring, promotions, belonging, leadership and retention. This is a product that exists that is part of people analytics. You can actually measure the internal equity of your organization And that actually generated, the regional product generated from a collaboration between uh, Karen Taylor, our chief diversity officer, and People Analytics. When she joined about uh, four years ago, she came to me and she says, I want to measure this vibe uh, across Workday. And I want to measure equity and parity in employee listening. Okay. I go off. I said, here's a belonging index that looks at equity and parity between different uh, groups in here. And she goes, I want to look at it uh, across intersections globally, and I want to do it across the major outcomes of HR. I said, whoa, whoa, Karen, that seems like a lot of work to do. I mean, I'm happy to do this. Uh, But it was like, kind of like, ah, she wants a true measure of parity in the organization. We went off and did this and created our internal kind of vibe index. And then product came in and said, "Let, let me take a look at that. They took a look at it, said, how about we make this a product? And both Karen and I were just like, okay, that's, that's awesome. But even better than that, they took that Created a product which I think is awesome, and then in 2021, uh, the Vibe Index was recognized by HR executive as a top product of the year. So I think that's pretty cool that like innovation can still happen within you know the HR function that gets pulled to a broader perspective.
0: So really interesting. So so you obviously doing some great work at Workday, Phil, and thanks for sharing so much of uh, so many powerful examples um, today, which I know will inspire uh, our listeners. You know, my related question, I guess, is you know, what advice would you give to to HR and people analytics professionals to to help solve some of the complex challenges that they're facing their organizations?
1: I think for me, if you're in people analytics or just in analytics and, and HR or just starting to play with data in HR, there's like kind of three things, you know, uh, first is you need to learn the business. It's hard to know where you provide value without knowing the business. Do you know how your business makes money do you know about their customers do you know about the drivers in the business do you know how they do their planning cycle do they do you know how they uh continuously engage their customer all of those things help make uh, uh hr people analytics uh, insights more applicable it focuses on the outcomes right uh david again something you and jonathan talk about all the time right uh the second thing is focus on the fundamentals right so Um, The fundamentals are, you know, what we talked about, like product adoption that creates scale. I think sometimes, not everyone, we get distracted, but all the fancy research and stuff that's being posted, um, look at this fancy connection I made here. Look at this HBR article here, stuff like that. I sometimes feel like we get distracted in this business and until we focus on the fundamentals, we're not bringing a business value. And then lastly is, you know, there's a certain energy in organizations and you need to learn where that energy is where that movement is and then lean into that right it's it's not like you have a strategy you go off and this is your strategy it's like what is happening in the business and how how can you find that energy and lean into that and that's where you be first use case and that's why i like you know that that again you and jonathan have got away from the maturity model of people analytics and really say here are the areas that you can bring value and then you can say, hey, where's the energy in this organization and lean into that particular area. And that actually brings value to the business.
0: What are you thinking broader now? Again, probably putting your old HR leadership consulting on. What do you think HR leaders really need to be thinking about over the next 12 to 24 months? And in relation to that, what would be your biggest concern and what do you think the biggest opportunity is?
1: Here's my opinion. Just my opinion. I think, um, we need to, uh, and I'm, you're, you're, you're going to be surprised. We need to go back to the basics, right? Do we have a discipline around our workforce planning practice? Are we getting the best hires in onboarding them effectively? Are we taking care of our managers and setting them up for success, especially managers this year? They've gone through so much burden and sometimes trauma and they're they're They've been flip-flopped from, uh. You know, great resignation to fully remote, to, to burnout, to, you know, a, a lot of uh, shifts in the marketplace and uncomfortable perspective about what the future looks like, right? There's a lot of burden there. The last thing I would say is just keep in mind that I think that uh, em- our employees, you know, our, our workforce has gone through a lot over the last couple of years, and we need to continually focus on the employee experience and not make short-sighted decisions because in 18 months, the, the landscape's going to look different but people remember the decisions that you make. And so the companies who, who navigate this well right now are going to be set up for success and emerge in a really good position in the next couple of years.
0: Phil, I really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's been great to hear about all the fantastic work you and the team are, are doing in people analytics at, at Workday. Um, how can listeners stay in touch with you, find you on social media?
1: Yeah, I think the best way is just uh, LinkedIn. So Phil Wilburn, um, at Workday. Uh, I think I might be the only Phil Wilburn at Workday. Check it out. Uh, I'd love to, to connect and um, uh, just uh, appreciate the time here today and uh, appreciate the great conversation we've had.
0: Well, thank you very much, Phil, and look forward to uh, seeing you again in person at some point this year. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with David Green. It was wonderful to have Phil Wilburn on the show and hear how the People Analytics Function at Workday is helping drive business success. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. And if you want to stay up to date on the latest industry trends and best practices and learn more about us at Insight 222, sign up for our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Bye for now, and we hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Take care.